This is the Landscape Ontario podcast. Today, we have the audio from the May 12, 2020 Town Hall webinar by LO's COVID-19 Task Force. This week's topic, navigating your workforce during COVID while staying focused on health and safety. Task Force members were joined by human resources expert Natalie Hansford from EIO Solutions to answer HR questions from the audience. If you'd prefer to watch the video replay, head over to LO's YouTube channel or stay right here. The Town Hall is coming up next. The Landscape Ontario podcast is sponsored by Dynascape Software. LO members save 15% on Dynascape products, software upgrades, and online training. Visit Dynascape.com for details. And we are now live. Good morning, everyone. We are happily one of the first sectors allowed to work. This comes with some relief, but also with many challenges and responsibilities, especially from an employee perspective. Some employees are hesitant and fearful of returning to work. Some employees have young families and can't find childcare. Sometimes families of your employees are fearful. On the other hand, maybe some of your employees do not believe that COVID is serious and, and won't comply with your health and safety protocols. This webinar is all about navigating your workforce during COVID while staying focused on health and safety. Our guest is Natalie Hansford from EIO Solutions. Alan White, Dave Wright, Jeff Olson, and Peter Ganane from Landscape Ontario's COVID Task Force will be on hand to share ideas and answer questions too. Some of the questions the panel will be discussing are, how do you implement safety protocols? What happens if your employees don't feel safe? How are you dealing with employees who have childcare issues? How are you dealing with public and media scrutiny? How important are optics? What do you do when employees are sick? How to mitigate the risk of COVID outbreak in your operation? How do you encourage compliance with your safety policies? Lots of questions to answer. And as always, please submit your questions in the chat box too. Without further introduction, let's start with Natalie Hansford. Natalie, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about EIO and your role in it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on, everyone. It's a delight, um, especially because the snow's all gone, so the sun's out, which is great. Well, my role at EIO Solutions and EIO stands for Employee Investment Optimization. So um, more than recently, we've been really focusing on HR and health and safety and making sure employers know exactly how to protect the, their workforce and themselves against COVID-19. But as an all, what we do is we help employers making sure that they're able to put their money in the right spots when it comes to employee investment and making sure that they have all protocols to protect themselves and mitigate themselves from liability, um, especially during these unprecedented times. So basically what I've been doing more than recently is I've been hosting our weekly webinars and just updating and giving all the knowledge that I have to employers to making sure that they know how to handle these situations. So we know that every industry is different, every company is different, and you do have to take that into consideration. So we really like to look at the workforce on its own, separately from each individual company and making sure that you're implementing the correct policies and procedures. So for example, one policy that might work for Landscape Ontario might not work the same thing for Right Landscaping. And that's just because of the different employees that are in the workforce and how they're on site or maybe not on site. 
So I know that during our webinar that I had, um, which I think a lot of uh, the participants in this webinar right now were actually on that webinar, which was great. And we were kind of using an example that a specific company in Ontario had an outbreak because of COVID-19. And this company ended up having to close their entire workforce because they had over 40 people test positive for COVID-19. And they really didn't know how to deal with it. They didn't know how to handle it. Um, they didn't have those uh, social distancing practices in the workforce. They did maybe in the plant, but not when they're on lunch breaks or when they're on smoke breaks, or they actually had some, some housing that employees were actually staying at as well, that they weren't actually following the same processes. So again, that company would have to use a completely different policy for companies that may be on site with five workers. So we like to take that into consideration and making sure you have everything in place so you feel protected, but also so your employees feel protected. Because the main thing is that as long as you're giving them all the information that they need, they can. you can make a business decision, but the employees can make a decision that's going to help them protect their families as well. So in a nutshell, that's kind of what we've been focusing on for at least the last two weeks, but also as a whole. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to answer any questions that you may have and um, help you guys protect yourself and your workforce. So um, would you like me to do the share screen and add yes. the presentation? Yes, so let's start with your presentation yeah. uh, and yeah. that, that will stimulate some questions. Great. Uh, and then we'll go to, to the other uh, COVID task force uh, members to talk as well. Okay, great. Okay, so what I really wanted to focus on today is explaining the three steps of compliance during COVID-19. Um, and this is one of the main questions that we get because you really truly don't know how to implement something. So there's one way of actually implementing or having these policies on your shelf and kind of letting the dust build up, but it's another of actually implementing it and maintaining the system. So I'm going to go through each step and what exactly that means. And that way, when you have all the information that you're learning through all these task force meetings and other webinars that you may be joining during COVID-19, you actually know how to implement them properly. So if the MOL were to do a surprise visit, you know what to do and how to handle it. So the first one is develop policies and procedures, making sure you actually have the mandatory policies and procedures in the workplace. And like I was saying earlier, Every company is different, so please take that into consideration. I'm going to kind of give you some hints and tricks depending on the size of your workforce throughout this webinar. But again, making sure you actually develop those policies and start to implement them in the workforce. So yes, two is implementing COVID-19 and employment policies and procedures. And the reason why I kind of separate the two in number two is that you can't forget about all the other policies and procedures that you actually require as an employer on site. So we all know the Ministry of Labor has been knocking on doors and going on sites and doing visits on a daily basis. And a lot of people are just thinking that they're only looking for COVID-19, social distancing, and all the other stuff that you have to have implemented because of COVID-19. But that's not true. They're looking at everything as a whole. They're going to ask you where your health and safety board is. They're going to ask where your joint health and safety representative is. They're going to ask you where your health and safety manual is. And if you don't have those things on site, that's when they really start to really dig into what is implemented and why you're missing things. 
So we can't forget about everything else that we still need to implement in the workforce, but as well as COVID-19. And they all kind of mesh well together in making sure, again, you're protecting your workforce. Number three, maintaining the system. Um, like I said, it's one thing to develop the policies, it's one thing to implement them, and it's another thing to maintain them, which I'm gonna get, I'm gonna dive deeper into um, on the next couple slides. So let's go back to the first one, developing policies and procedures. So the government has issued industry-specific COVID-19 guidelines to require when reopening or while you're open. So again, you can go on the government website, so Canada.ca, and they have a lot of different guidelines that you can look at depending on your industry and what they're required to put into the workplace. This is a requirement and it's mandatory. You will get shut down if you don't have these in place. So it's really serious and making sure that you um, you put that thing, put those things in place before you reopen, but also while you're opening and maintaining it. The next thing is company-specific SOPs and communicating to employees. So you have to make sure that you are communicating this properly to employees and that you're making sure that they understand. So recognizing that if you have to explain it in a different way, maybe they learn by doing different things like that to actually make sure they understand what the policies and procedures mean and how to use them in the workplace. Company-specific SOPs, so safe operating procedures, mean that say you're doing social distancing in the workplace and you have to be 6.5 feet away from all employees at all times. Doesn't matter the circumstance. But let's just say you have to pick up a piece of equipment and it requires two employees and you are having to be two feet away from each other. You actually have to develop a safe operating procedure when you're within that um, Within your, within, when you're in within that period of time. So if you are lifting that equipment, you actually have to put a policy in place so that the employee might have to wear a mask. They might have to wear gloves. They might actually have to wear glasses within that period of time. So making sure you're putting that within place. So if the MOL comes on site and goes, why are you carrying this equipment? Why are you within 6.5 feet? And how are you gonna make sure that the employees are safe while operating this? And then the next one is constantly develop or update policies and procedures. I even know for myself, I've been actually writing these COVID-19 policies and I've been updating them on a weekly basis. That means if you got your policy three weeks ago, it's out of date. So you have to make sure that you always have the most recent up-to-date policies and procedures. So that way, if they do come on site or your employees don't know how to handle a certain situation, they understand and they're communicated with the most up-to-date policy. The next one is implement COVID-19 and employment policies and procedures. So like I said, actually implementing it. So making sure it's short, simple, and clear communication. I slightly went over that in developing the policies and procedures, but this is just making sure that when you're writing your policies, making sure you, they actually understand it. Don't use big words. Don't use words that they're not gonna understand. Make sure it's clear and simple. Step-by-step -step training develop and actually maintain this training. So for example, if they don't know how to put on a mask, show them how. Some people don't know how to take off gloves properly, show them how. They're not going to take it off by each finger and just ripping it off them hand. They actually have to making sure that they're not contaminating themselves when they're taking off their gloves. So certain things like that, you may think are common sense, but are not. So make sure you actually have that step-by-step -step training or have a poster and kind of go over this poster with them. So even washing their hands, as simple as that, you do have to teach them how to do so. Sign-offs and documentation. I know this is pretty simple, but it's so important. Making sure you do have sign-offs or indicating that it was communicated to the employees. It's not good enough just to say, I told them about it. 
why aren't they doing it? You have to actually make sure that they recognize and they understand that this is in place and they either signed off or you have attendance records that they were at that meeting when you did deliver that, that policy or procedure. And then the last one within the section, and I actually think it's the most important, is making sure your management team is up to date. These people are on site and they're managing every single employee within your workforce. Making sure they have the most recent and up-to-date information is extremely important. And the reason why is because they're the ones that are communicating with your staff on a daily basis. So they should be the first to know when you're implementing certain policies or what it means or how to handle it. For example, I know that we were talking about this before we went live, but making sure that you're very sincere when you're having a conversation, say you have to send an employee home, your management knows how to deal with that. You want to make sure that you're sensitive, but you're still being uh, protecting your workforce and making sure that that employee is going home, but you're having that conversation that is, is a little bit more sensitive because we all know that this is a very sensitive topic. So making sure that not only you know how to deliver that message, your management team knows how to deliver that message because they are representing you and that's something you really have to keep into consideration. So the last one here is maintaining the system. And out of all different steps, this is the most important thing because if you have things in place and you're not maintaining them, it's almost like you didn't have it at all. And one of the examples I really like to use is that Say, for example, you develop a policy for workplace violence and harassment. You implement the policy. You get all employees to sign off on it. And then a situation happens and you need an investigation because there's harassment in the workplace. If you just put that uh, situation under the rug, you don't deal with it. You say it never happened. You move on from it. You're not maintaining the system. And you're actually going to get in major trouble with the Ministry of Labor and even may maybe legal. So just making sure you maintain the system, you actually follow the processes that you said you're going to, and also make sure that the employees trust you because that way they actually know that you're serious with all the policies and procedures you're implementing and they're gonna actually build that trust with you. So update and review the policies on a regular basis and as needed. We always say, look at every single policy on an annual basis. And for COVID, for example, I'd be looking at your policies on a weekly basis because you never know when things are going to be changing. Uh, annual training. So it's a requirement to have annual training depending on the different um, regula regulations that are required in the workplace and making sure you're getting that training done. And we always say an unbiased third party is the best way to represent and implement these policies because you can always kind of put the blame on them and making sure it is an unbiased opinion. So we know a lot of the times when an employee is implementing a policy in the workplace, there might be a biased opinion about their buddy not having to do it because they're close with them. Oh, don't worry about it. You're my friend. You don't have to follow this policy procedure. Or maybe sometimes on-site HR people, when they work within the company, they do have that biased party because maybe the office staff doesn't have to follow that policy and procedure because they're, they're buddies with them. So that way, an unbiased third party is going to be able to implement this properly and making sure that it's completely unbiased. Everyone has to follow the rules so it's fair and um, on par with everything that's implemented in the workplace. So the last thing I want to talk about, and then we'll open the floor to questions, is what if I don't do any of these things? What are my liabilities? So what if I do step one, step two, and not step three? Or what if I just do step one? What's going to happen? And if you've been on a webinar, we know that you guys know that we talk about this every single webinar, and it's really serious. The liabilities could be government fines. The liabilities could be work, uh, work shutdown orders. Um, losing your workforce because they lose the trust and they don't actually think that you're representing them, representing them in a good way. 
Ministry of Labor audits and Ministry of Labor drop-ins. Potential jail time. This is serious. If you're not following any of the rules, you can get potential jail time on site. Potential lawsuits. Your health premiums could increase because COVID-19 outbreaks. And then, of course, your company reputation. This is really serious and really important. So these are some of the things that you really do need, need to consider when you're thinking about all the different steps that I just shared. Okay, so I'm gonna stop sharing here and I'm gonna open the floor to questions. Um, so, so Natalie, um, what I'd like to do now is, is uh, you, you gave us a great outline, uh, mm -hmm. to develop, um, implement and maintain policies and, and procedures. And I'd like to just go around to, to the COVID task force members and, and ask them uh, from a practical perspective, how they actually are doing with, with uh, implementing their, their, or developing their, their policies, implementing them and maintaining them. So yeah. Let's start with Jeff. Jeff, uh, how did you approach this whole issue? Uh, where did you get oh. your, your, your policies from? Well, uh, how did you implement sure. them, <laughs> right? What challenges are you having? That kind of thing. Many, many, many. Okay. Uh, good morning. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, uh, so we are fortunate uh, that we, um, I brought in a third party uh, safety consultant about three years ago, four years ago. We're, we're a larger company, so uh, we needed it uh, and we wanted an unbiased uh, um, person to be uh, managing our health and safety programs because like, like most entrepreneurs out there, Health and safety is is gives us gives me a headache. Like it's just not fun. It's boring. It's 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 risk management. It's sort of like no offense to anybody. Sort of like HR. Uh, it's not <laughs> it's not exciting for entrepreneurs typically. So I was like, let me just outsource that to 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 a third party, and um, for the cost of half a salary, uh, our this person uh, came on board, retired uh, gentleman who had been in the manufacturing space, uh, came on and built all of our health and safety policies. And then when this came up with the, with the COVID uh, uh, stuff came up, um, we handed that over to him as well. And he developed all of our uh, internal policies. Um, and so we have um, in our business, like four or five unique situations um, so we have a health and safety policy for our office area. We have a policy for our um, greenhouses and uh, growing areas, uh, the outdoor uh, growing areas, the warehousing, uh, you know, that, that acts more like a manufacturing uh, type of uh, facility. Um, so, all, and then where our uh, contractors come and shop, how that's laid out. So each one of those had its own unique challenges around how to keep people safe, healthy, and of course, the risk management from a business owner's perspective, that uh, if the Ministry of Labor comes in or God forbid you have an outbreak uh, somewhere in the business, uh, that um, A, that your employees are feel safe and are safe. And, and secondly, uh, that, as your, that your business is safe in, in, in the sense that you're covered from a rich risk management standpoint. So uh, again, we got it on it quickly. We were fortunate to have a, a third party already engaged and uh, the policies built uh, accordingly. Any challenges in maintaining at this point? <sighs> the, not, the biggest challenge I find is the natural human instinct to want to be close to one another. <laughs> so whether, whether you're grabbing a coffee at the coffee machine or whether you're on an assembly line, 
the, the natural instinct is to come close together. And so that's the, the distancing is the most hardest thing because it's so unnatural for us as people to be disconnected like that. That's our biggest challenge. So, so how do you deal with that challenge? We, we um, the managers walk around and, and tell people to stay six feet apart all day. <laughs> like that's like, that's you know, basically we, we've nominated one person in every location. We run six locations. So in every location, uh, somebody's responsible to, to, to um, enforce social distancing. Okay. Alan, you're next. Uh, you're the big tell step. us a little bit about your, your, uh, your experience. You're, you're muted. I think a little bit like Jeff is, is, is it on now? Yeah. Um, a little bit like Jeff, we've, we are fortunate enough and have taken health and safety serious over the years um, and always treated our, our mainland. And we've been in business almost 30 years. So I, I can be honest and say for the, probably the first 15 years, it wasn't as important as it was um, in a lot of years, or as your business grows, risk management becomes a way bigger uh, uh, responsibility. So it's been part of our culture for a while, but it's a living document. So in that sense, we're constantly reevaluating. We're constantly trying to stay up to date with what uh, the government is talking about, not just with COVID-19, but with everything. Um, this has been unique in the sense, one, it came on so fast. So evaluating your policies and procedures in the moment um, versus having a planned approach as Natalie suggested with an annual review, um, or you get the trickle of government uh, implementation of new programs, they usually have lots of lead time. So this has been a, a rapid evolution in health and safety. Um, just the, the very early days of workplace uh, safety and prevention, putting out COVID um, prevention checklists that came out and going through and thinking we had a pretty robust health and safety program uh, to realize in the, in the, uh, the context of an infectious disease, it isn't as robust as it could be. So that was the first piece of it. I, I think the second piece from an operational standpoint, that's the easier piece. It's that human element that Jeff talked about that's been our challenge. Um, and maybe even Natalie could talk a little bit about uh, the maintenance and management of it as your workforce and, and you dealing with that human element. Um, we all know that the, the government's put in place that if anybody shows symptoms, um, within the workplace, they're not to, uh, to attend work, they're to notify their employer, <clears throat> and they're potentially going to self-quarantine for 14 days. Plus, there's this whole piece the government keeps talking about, about tracing. Um, so where do we go back? Who do they come in contact with? How do we manage that? That's probably our, our biggest gap right now. How do we get them back to work? How do we manage them? Why they're off? When is When do we need to get doctor's notes? Um, how do we need to progress it? And how do we build the confidence back up because a lot of times these symptoms show up on it. Someone calls in sick on Tuesday. Well, the people that have been working in just case in a greenhouse, our case in a crew or in the shop or in the office, they've been working with this individual for the past three or four days. How do we reinstill their confidence? Yeah. Great, great question. Yeah. So Natalie, you're, you're on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that's a good question. And a lot of people have that question. And I mean, I, I've been saying this and I've been saying this saying for the last two months is it's better safe than sick. And it's so true because you just got to make sure that you're not going to spread it within the workforce. So any, any symptoms at all um, of COVID-19 symptoms, mind you, because this is also allergy season. And I know that's hard because a lot of people are getting their, their normal allergies that they usually do. 
but unfortunately the COVID-19 symptoms are very similar to allergies. Um, so I just want to make sure that everyone knows that the way you say it is really important because you don't want to freak out the rest of your workforce. Um, so the, the best thing to do is when anyone has any symptoms, you have to ask them to go home immediately. And of course, be very symptomatic, like, um, sincere about it. I just want to make sure that you're safe, that your family's safe, and we do the right process. And you could even say Health Canada has told me that any symptoms that are in the workforce, I do have to unfortunately send you home. This is an unpaid time off, but they can apply for the quarantine period under EI. So they still do get that period of time that they can get that, that amount from the government so that they're not left with any money when they are at home for that 14 days. And they're saying that if the symptoms continue or they get worse, you have to call the Health Canada helpline um, and they're going to guide you through the whole process. They're going to tell you whether you need to get tested or not. They have some screening questions on the phone and it's Health Canada's responsibility to help the employer map out what happened. So who are they in contact with? So they actually really do help you step by step along the way. So you don't have to worry too much about the process in terms of, okay, I have to now map out every single person that this person was in contact with. So they really do help you with that. But with that being said, if you know that they, they may be called carpool with someone or um, they work really closely in one small area with a bunch of people, it's the employer's responsibility to let the workforce know. And you have to tell everyone, not just the people that you assume that they've been in contact with. Because for disease protection, um, it is their right as a human to know that they may have been in contact with COVID-19, especially if they may be bringing it to their family. So you do have to let the work first know as a, as a whole if they were tested positive, not if they have symptoms, if they were tested positive. So that's why it's really important for them to monitor their symptoms, keep you up to date as an employer. If the symptoms increase, get worse, or don't go away, because we know allergies come and go. Um, whereas COVID-19 is not the case, right? So they do have to get tested. And once they have that positive test result, you do have to let your entire workforce know. Um, you cannot disclose the name. This is a personal and sensitive matter. You're not gonna say Natalie Hansford um, tested positive yesterday or whatever. You would just say an employee in X department that works X shift was tested positive for COVID-19. So we ask that if you were in contact with this person between the last 14 days, because you have to go back 14 days um, and let them know that that matter. Oh, that helps, Natalie. Yeah. Thank you. The other piece that Tony, I just wanted in our policy, I think Natalie alluded to a little bit and probably helpful for those on, um, th that are participating today. Uh, the special tasks. So when we're doing things where we're inside that two meter, we have special policies and procedures. One of the big ones is in a vehicle. Um, so yeah. we've set policies that we expect our staff to maintain when they get inside that um, that two meter buffer. Um, probably the same is true for landscape contractors. If you're moving interlock brick and you have to be um, within a couple feet of each other, yeah. that these things outside of the two meters, we have a policy. Um, in our case, because we're outside, we don't require employees to wear masks when they're away from the public, when they're working by themselves. Um, but the second they get in close proximity to each other to just point where they can't avoid or just a human tendency to congregate. So in our shop in the morning, everybody wears a mask in the shop um, before they leave. When they're in a vehicle um, with any coworker, they're wearing a mask. Um, if a, they have a mask on them on a job site, so if they come in clo close contact with an other employee or a member of the public, a client comes up to them, 
um, and needs to be in close proximity, they have the ability to don a mask again. So that's within our specific policies and procedures mm -hmm. to deal with those situations that don't meet the the overarching um, policies. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Natalie. Yeah, so specifically with trucks, and I spent some time actually last week developing a policy that was specific to trucks because we got a lot of questions on that. And you have to make sure that you're sanitizing the truck before and after use. It doesn't matter how long you were in there, who was in there. Um, so you're, you're absolutely right with having the the PPE for the employees, so the mask. Um, they can wear the, the safety goggles if they wish, um, only because they're saying that if you're going to be in contact with someone that's within that that uh, range, you, you you may get it in your eyes too, right? So they're saying that you might actually want to wear the glasses as well. But if you're in a truck, I don't I don't see a problem with that. Um, but you have to sanitize the truck before and after use. So even if you're only in there for five minutes, and each employee sanitizes their own side, and then even when they get back in it, and at the end of the day, they still have to sanitize it before they leave. Um, so that's really important as well. And then, of course, giving them that, uh, making sure that they wash their hands or they use um, the sanitizer before and after they get in the truck every single time. So they have to do it right away before they get on site or before they go anywhere. They have to use this after getting out of the truck as well. So that's uh, another two things that I would add to that. Natalie, while you're on trucks, how many people uh, can, can be in a truck? So they're saying... It, it, you know what, it's it's a very loose question because they're saying that the only people that should be in a truck are people that are in the same housing, but that's not always going to be the case. So they're saying anyone within a 6.5 um, feet distance, you have to wear PPE if you're gonna be in a surrounded area. I would say I wouldn't go over two. I really wouldn't. Um, they're not saying that there's like a specific number I'm sure they're going to update it again as the weeks progress, but I wouldn't go over two people. I know that it's going to be a little bit challenging for people that like to um, staff up in a truck, but keep it to two and make sure that they have their PPE while in that truck. But it's supposed to be anyone in the same household on a normal commute. Thank you. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to go to, to Peter now uh, and just uh, Peter, can you, can you share your experiences with your policies and procedures and implementation? We had, uh, we went through this safety groups program at LO several years ago. So we got ourselves into the habit of developing our safety policies and reviewing our safety policies. We have joint health and safety committee elections every year. Um, so when this developed, we were pretty quick to uh, update our infectious disease uh, policy and our Joint Health and Safety Committee members were uh, very effective on this, especially when they had uh, this shelter-in-place order. They they basically had one task to do, so we got that thing produced and turned around pretty quickly. Uh, we have had to update it a few times. Uh, we, as a company, have uh, offered uh, wages to our employees when we send them home if they're suspected or have COVID, and that is entirely due to the uh, wage subsidy that the government has provided. So that helps us a lot in terms of uh, incentivizing people to make safe choices. Um, and the program is very generous. Uh, the government will pay 100% of their wages up to 75% of their pre-COVID wage. 
Um, we did our first application last week and uh, we've already gotten our first uh, payment from the government. So I have to say it is, uh, it's going to be instrumental in, in successfully navigating through this. In terms of our safety policies and the actual implementation of them, uh, yeah, all the challenges you guys have indicated are, are real. Um, Jeff doesn't like the safety programs. I'd say it's a lot like exercise. You know, it's not a lot of fun necessarily while you're doing it. And the benefits may or may not be visible in the future, but uh, there are benefits and they're real and you have to trust that it is making a difference. Um, and in terms of enforcement, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult. As with all of our safety policies, it's constant steady pressure. If you let things slide, then employees will take advantage and do what's convenient for them or what's comfortable for them. And, uh, and you, you have to have a culture of, of caring uh, where people, if they don't wanna do it for themselves, they have to understand they're doing it for the people around them and their families. Um, uh, and in terms of the, uh, the two meter social distancing, most of my crews just wear masks all the time. I mean, it's because what happens is on a job site, you don't expect to walk near somebody or be near somebody, but two seconds later, you turn around and there's somebody right there and you like, it's, it's almost unavoidable. It's easier just to constantly wear a mask. And I know that's going to be a bigger challenge in the heat of the summer, but if we can develop those good habits now, I think it'll be easier to maintain them uh, through the difficult heat in the summer. So, so Peter, if, if uh, have you thought about how to mitigate the risk if, if um, you know, somebody in your operation gets COVID? Uh, we, how to prevent it from spreading to other crews and so forth? Or what, what do you do? We have done the, we've gone, taken 10 steps backwards in our, in our uh, company culture development, and we've created silos. I know that's a horrible word, you know, where, but our crews now are silos and our crews don't interact with each other. We don't have yard meetings or group meetings anymore outside of individual crews. Um, all of our stuff is online. Um, and, uh, and then the, the individual crew leaders are responsible for conducting the tailgate meetings and the safety meetings on site and doing the site safety meetings. So if something does happen, much to Natalie's point, if somebody does test positive, we have to notify anyone who's been in contact with that person, it will be a limited number of people. So we have seven crews. And if I can limit our exposure to one crew at a time, we can probably manage our jobs and our company through that type of uh, disruption. Um, and uh, I, I mean, it's, it's a, like you said, it's a work in progress. So we'll have to constantly update those policies. All right, so you thought it through. David, your turn. So tell us a little bit of your, your experiences with policies and procedures and implementation and maintaining and challenges. Sure. Okay. So we, um, we've always had lots of policies for, for dealing with, uh, sorry, for dealing with um, um, health and safety. Um, dating back to early 2000, the late 90s, uh, we were involved in safety groups. So that really pushed us into um, having that stuff together and, and continual um, uh, 
um, involvement with the safety groups has uh, made us update them numerous times uh, over the last 25 years. Um, there was the days before safety, I remember them well, um, where it was not the first thing that came out of your mouth, um, where it is now. Um, so certainly uh, my team um, works through the, the health and safety. I have a health and safety, we have about 30 employees here. So um, we have a health and safety committee and they, um, um, we regularly review those, those, uh, those policies. So when, when, when COVID-19 came along, uh, we were able to uh, identify that we needed, that we needed a specific policy. Uh, we are clients of EIO. So, um, we, we started down that path and then had, uh, had EIO, um, put those uh, policies together for us. So they were written properly and legal and so on. Um, and we implemented them, uh, immediately. Um, and, but like we talked to her uh, before, you, you have to you have to keep updating them. Like things are changing on a on a daily and or weekly and daily basis with the government. Uh, you have to respond to it, and and when you hear something has changed, you need to update your policies accordingly. So um, certainly, like uh, we talked about uh, drivers and vehicles, we um, we started off um, with uh, with one person per vehicle, and within weeks we were at two people with a uh, with a plexiglass shield between a. Uh, the driver and the passenger so um and, but we still have to make sure that the um uh, the people in the truck are wearing their ppe and 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 doing the proper wipe down and so on the sanitization so staying on top of that constantly um you know looking out my window of my office window at the yard when there's a guy at the gas pump and somebody walks up and starts talking to them well i gotta get up and say hey you gotta stay six feet apart and you know when you've got crews that are that are very familiar with each other and have worked together for a number number of years and they're friends, it's hard to keep them apart. Um, but it, we have to be diligent to, in doing that, and it becomes more of a, an observational thing where where um, the managers and the supervisors need to walk around and then watch for it and on the watch job practices and, and and make sure that what they're doing in the field is what we say we're going to do because that's half the problem is that you can have all kinds of policies, but if you're not actually practicing it. Um, so that, that's certainly something that, 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 that we're looking at right now is, is making sure that we are actually following those policies and it becomes a, a regular, um, I wouldn't go so far as to say an audit, but it's regular observation of how we're doing things and are we doing it properly. Thanks, David. Uh, there's some questions Tony, here. About Tony, if I just add to uh, Dave's comment there, I think it's, uh, I think it's important that we Part of the task force's goal was to to maintain that news cycle. So this is a daunting task with the daily and weekly updates. Um, and the team at Landscape Ontario with Sally's help, your help, Tony, and then the daily reviews we have. A big part of that, uh, and we'll continue to do that maybe um, as we get a little bit more into the, the, the busy season, it'll be behind the scenes, but updating the, the task force website with these policy changes as the government's constantly dealing with this. Uh, one of our objectives and goals as a group here is to, to bring that information uh, as quickly as possible to the memberships so that allows us um, on that weekly basis to, to know there's a point where we can go get as much information as we can, but it's still incumbent on us as, as business owners to also be aware of the news cycles um, where we're getting updates outside and then having a resource to go see if it's been uh, disseminated again by their peers and by those that are watching on a daily basis. Um, that are maybe busy out in the field uh, and, and the likes of, as Dave alluded to, 
uh, hiring a consultant is also another means to do it. So depending on the size of your company, um, you may have that in-house. If you don't, then obviously we know our membership's made up of a lot of uh, small operators. So if we can be a resource to them, that's one of, one of our ongoing goals as, as we move yeah, th forward. Thanks for bringing that up, Alan. Uh, and that the on our website, there are a lot of resources, uh, even in dealing with, with policies and, and procedures as well. And I know EIO is helping a lot of members uh, too. Uh, there's some questions here uh, about uh, how to deal with subcontractors. Um, who wants to deal deal with that one? Peter, do you, do you have a lot of subcontractors? Dave? Well, maybe if Natalie, Tony could just, what, what the policy should be and then how we're dealing with it. Because yeah. a lot of question comes up when you're dealing with a subcontractor. I have my own policies and procedures. I have my employees sign off on it, but what's our responsibility as employers is when we hire a subcontractor um, to ensure that their policies are consistent with ours and their employees are protected? Yeah, so absolutely. That's a good question. And if uh, they're your subcontractors, whether they're like on an individual basis, so individual contact contractors or like a company that you're hiring, they still have to follow your policies and procedures when they're on your site. So a great way to come about it is making sure that you communicate with them like, hey, we just updated our policy. If you want to use it, feel free to because this is the policy that we're using on our site. And if you're not following the policies and procedures, you can't be on our site. And that's really important because making sure that they're not going to, like I, I've gotten this a lot where employers are getting really frustrated because they're on site with a bunch of other companies and they're not following any of the rules. And that's going to actually put the jeopardy on you and your workforce as well. So making sure that they're following the policies and procedures and if they don't have one and they don't know what to do, offer it because the best case scenario is that they follow the same policy as you and you're all working together. Um, so that's what I would recommend with, uh, with making sure that you're protecting your workforce as well. Subcontractors, um, they don't get a bypass. They have to follow the same rules and you have every right to protect your workforce and force them to do so or, or else get off the site. Yeah. I think that's a great differentiation there, Natalie, is the fact because I think a lot of us uh, just looking at the comments on the side, we're under the perception of as long as they have a health and safety policy and they provide us with it, um, that we're covered. But in reality, they actually have to follow. It's, yeah. We should be providing our health and safety policy to them because they they need to follow ours. Yeah, that's what I always recommend, especially if you know you have the most up-to-date COVID-19 disease protection, all that great stuff. Share it because um, it's going to help you in your workforce for sure. Yeah. So we, we work for a lot of... Uh general contractors doing doing landscape work on, on large sites and so we're often given uh, or requested early on in the in the in the project uh, what is your health and safety policy um, certainly when when the COVID-19 pandemic hit uh, we were still working um, our general contractors asked for our COVID-19 health and safety policy they also gave us theirs um, what right. the policies were for uh, some sites we have to check in we're working at some uh, some uh, long-term care facilities uh, we have to check in when we go on site so they've got their site specific um, policies um, but what I've also talked with my crews about is how how the other con or how the other subcontractors are dealing on the site and obviously the general contractor is in charge um, but seeing how different trades do things differently and um, ultimately the general contractor is responsible for everybody on their site so uh, when you are the general contractor, when you've got subs working for you, um, you need to ask your your subs for that documentation. And if they don't have it, they need to follow yours. And you need to be uh, strict about it. Um, yeah. You can't have you can't have uh, 
um, some roofing guys working on a on a pool cabana and uh, uh, with no with no PPE on. Just like it would be if uh, if they're not wearing work boots and uh, and safety safety goggles or anything like that. So it's it's important to um, uh, this is. Um, not to make light of it, but this is just another health and safety issue, this whole COVID-19 crisis. Yeah. Uh, the same as what it was, uh, like I talked about before, about the days before safety and, uh, you know, just trying to get guys to wear work boots coming to, to, to work, uh, uh, to cut grass because uh, back in the back in the 80s, it was okay to walk around wearing uh, running shoes while running a lawnmower. Um, yeah, so it, it's that kind of thing. This is just another safety issue that we need to deal with. Yeah, and I think another thing to keep in consideration is that if you are one of those subcontractors on site, employers are calling employers into the MOL, and they're actually having that somewhat more than employees right now. So making sure that anyone can call it in, whether it's a client, whether it's another employer, whether it's another, it's an employee, whether it's just an observer that's walking by, people are calling in left, right, and center, and some employers are actually calling on other employers because maybe you don't want to have that confrontation. Maybe you don't want to deal with it. And if it's, if it's really come to that, you can do that. And I know that's not really um, the business adequate that we usually deal with, but COVID-19 is serious. And if it's going to protect you and your workforce, sometimes you do have to make that decision. Okay. Uh, Peter, have you, have you had any experiences with subcontractors? So like the, the last time I did an outdoor webinar a few weeks ago, uh, I discussed the a steel structure that was being put together and those that subcontractor did not work for me. They worked for the general contractor as to Dave's point. And, uh, and we did notify the general contractor that my crew was uncomfortable with their lack of safety uh, protocols. And the general contractor did have a meeting with them and, and has instructed them how to work safely. And uh, they did have to start conforming to the, the site requirements. And, uh, and that brought a lot of relief to my crew and and that's you know that's that's what's important to me is to make sure that my crew can be safe and uh and willing to work and happy to work and uh and they have to feel safe to do that and uh and this is going to happen probably you know all summer long where there are, you're going to come across people who have given up try you know they they've been doing this for so long it's been such a pain you know, I hear stories now about people, you know, going visiting other people, Doug Ford's daughters went to visit him. And like, if he can't do it, you know, like, it's just the whole thing, the whole system's going to fall apart. So it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a constant, constant uh, maintenance of, of safety procedures. And I think sub trades are going to be a challenge in every job, I'm going to come across a new sub trade that has their own level of, of compliance. And we have to establish what we're comfortable with. And when we're in charge, when we're the general contractor, I have authority over the other trades. So it'll be easier for me to, to enforce. Uh, but when I'm a co-sub-trade uh, on a big site, like we have sites like Dave said, big commercial sites, uh, it's going to be much harder. But those big general contractors have a lot more to lose if the MOL does show up or if, or if somebody does come down with covid and everyone has to self-isolate. So they have they have an interest themselves in keeping the site safe. So, uh, I mean, that's maybe some small comfort that if you do voice your concerns to the general contractor, they can uh, they will go to bat for you. Thanks, Peter. 
Uh, let's let's Tony, answer. Tony, there's a bunch of questions. There's a bunch of questions here around protocol. I know we only got 15 minutes left. Protocol around people getting sick, uh, maybe just from some of the others here. I know Peter mentioned uh, in a great way of looking at using the wage subsidy right now as a, as a way to help employees out uh, when they have to go into self-quarantine. But maybe Natalie could expand a bit on um, when, it, when the, the rest of a team or the rest of your bubble needs to go into self-quarantine uh, once someone is. The fact of you're right about allergies and other symptoms so that there's a point where they just don't come into work but at what point as an employer do you escalate it with the rest of your work team um and then just maybe from the rest of my peers here um as uh peter alluded to some of the ways we're dealing with it to help employees where the government programs are are assisting us yeah so i know that allergies are one thing and COVID 19 symptoms are another but um i'm talking about obviously if it gets worsened so if they have any symptoms at all first of all you don't want to freak out the rest of your workforce if someone's coughing everywhere regardless of whether it's COVID 19 or not it's going to make stress on all the employees that are working with this employee it's not worth it um so you really do have to get them to self-isolate for those 14 days. And if it gets worse, then they do have to get tested. You only tell your workforce when they're tested positive. Don't freak them out when you, do, you don't even have an answer from Health Canada on whether it is positive or negative. Because again, it, it might be just a cold. The weather has, we got snow the other day. Um, so they actually may be just getting a cold or they may actually just have allergies or whatever the case may be. So don't freak out your workforce with having someone who's coughing everywhere, um, especially just, just send them home. Um, but with that being said, if they are off, yeah, you can, they can apply for EI. So if you're not applying for the wage subsidy, that's, that's a great alternative. And a lot of people are doing that, that they get that 75% of their, their wages before COVID-19. But if you didn't apply for that and you don't plan on applying for that, um, then the employees can actually go on EI for the 14 day quarantine period and, and they'll get paid that amount. How does WSIB play into it? Because there was a bit on one of the yeah. uh, the calls last week because uh, WSIB, I think, is really struggling with when yeah. is it a workplace uh, uh, sickness versus um, general circulation. I, I think it's going to be really difficult to uh, to cover off in this case uh, if it actually came to to reality and putting a Form 7 through. Yeah. And also a question around the other employees, too. Uh, do you have any insight or have you had any experience with some of your other clients? Yeah, so we actually called WSIB like the first week, I think, when COVID-19 kind of was was starting. And we wanted to call them directly because you're going to get the information correctly if you call them directly. And at that point in time, they were basically saying it's really hard to... Um, say that it came from the workplace. Now, if there's an outbreak, that's a completely different situation. But if there's like a one-off or two-off employees, it's going to be quite challenging to prove that it actually happened in the workforce. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, they actually have an illness and disease protection policy saying that unless there's like a massive outbreak, it's not WSIB related. Um, but if you can, if you can prove that maybe they've been carpooling or whatever, like uh, the same group or department all kind of had that outbreak of COVID-19, that's a different situation. But of course, if there's like the one off or two off, they're saying, WSIB is saying that they can't actually prove that it was an outbreak in the workplace. Um, so, I mean, I would say it's, every situation is different on whether you're going to put in that form seven or not, but if it's just one or two employees, um, you could always do it, but it's not always likely that it's going to be covered. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, Tony, I could share with uh, the audience too, the, the fact we had an employee that did go 14 day self quarantine, um, symptomatic, had a direct contact though, not tested with a COVID, uh, 
uh, two COVID uh, patients. They're actually family members. Uh, at the end of 14 days, they were still symptomatic. So this employee went for another week, still not tested. Um, upon coming back, so this week he, he phoned in and said, you know, I'm feeling better. I want to come back to work. Uh, we asked for doctor's notice for coming back. He'd never been tested. Um, but because of the length of time he was off and that his symptoms escalated and he went past 14 days, um, we put him, now the doctors won't sign off on the fact that he, he was off for so long and he has to go get tested now. Um, I don't know if you have any experience with that, Natalie. It's just one of those awkward, yeah. what is the right point? We had originally, our policy had 14-day isolation, um, 24-hour symptom-free before returning. And if you still had symptoms at the end of 14 days that you needed to get a doctor's note, um, and be symptom free. Oh, for sure. So they're saying that they want you to be symptom free for 14 days, right? So you you don't want to make you make sure that the employees aren't coming into the workplace, even though they're 14 days isolated. Everyone's handling COVID-19 differently. So I, I don't want to say that this employee has it because I'm not a doctor, but yeah. everyone handles it differently. Some people have it for months. Some people have it for 14 days. So you really can't decipher on that 14 day period. You have to be symptom free for 14 14 days, meaning you have to actually pass it through your system. So absolutely, that employee would have to be tested. Um, and just based on the, the protocol that the doctors have, then that's what they're doing across the board in Ontario. Thanks. Okay. So Natalie, I just want to uh, make sure we've answered Carl Hastings' question here. Yeah. If one person gets sick, what happens to others that work with that employee? Are they told to stay home? Or do they work alone? Or do you, does everybody on that crew go on EI or, or on the uh, on the, uh, the other program? So Yeah, so I think I would go back to how I answered the first one is always make sure you have that positive test result. Um, and that's why it's really important that say someone does get sick in the workplace, they go home, they, they monitor the symptoms for the first two, three days, and if they continue, go get tested, right? But that's why it's really important to make sure that you have the PPE when they're within the 6.5 uh, feet distance, that they're not within 6.5 feet and they're social distancing. Um, they're, they're washing their hands consistently. They're, they're sanitizing their work areas and they're following all the policies and procedures. So it's one thing to potentially have someone that's having allergies or sick in the workplace, but making sure you follow those policies and procedures so it doesn't have the outbreak. They have those rules in place so that if there is someone in the workplace, no one's going to get it right? So making sure that you're following those policies and procedures if someone is potentially sick is really important. And that's the, the first part of what we were talking about within this webinar is that just making sure that those are, that those are in place. But with that being said, if this person is tested positive, then completely different story. You do have to handle it differently. You do have to communicate to the workforce, but don't freak out your workforce when you don't have a positive test result. Um, but continue to have those isolations and um, social distancing practices, PPE, wipe downs, all that stuff. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I know we're, we're kind of re repeating some of these questions, but they, they, they come in from different angles. So Carla says, we have a staff member that called in today and said he has a cough from working in the snow yesterday, but, but wants to come back to work tomorrow. How do you handle that? Yeah, so unfortunately um, they won't be able to come back if they have a cough, right? Um, I, this is one of those better, better, uh, safe than sick, um, unfortunately. And I know it sucks because this could potentially happen to a lot of the, a lot of the employees because 
it was snowing two days ago and now the sun's out and of course people are going to get colds. So I know it's, I know it's not the right answer that you want to hear, but unfortunately they do have to isolate if they do have a cough. Now, uh, is it possible we, we got instruction from our doctor. We've had a few people like either got a, the flu or a cold. Um, so what we instructed them was important. Immediately stay home. Um, go see your doctor. And if your doctor says it's okay to come back within the 14 days, I need a note. Yeah. So, so you need confirmation. Work around to not, so it's not a mandatory 14 day isolation. Yeah. If you're in that and you think you just have a cough and you need to go see a doctor, otherwise you're off for 14 days. And what I think a lot of people are forgetting that is people are still sick. So if they have a flu, if they have a cough, you don't want them in the workforce anyways. You don't want them spreading this cough or flu or whatever it is. So don't forget that there actually is still flus that people can spread. Um, before COVID-19, if someone was sick, you didn't want them in the workforce. So you don't want them in the workforce now, uh, especially if it's going to bring stress to the rest of the employees. Uh, Noreen's asking, she wants a clarity on whether you can ask for a doctor's note, even if it is an allergy or, or a common cold. Relogic? Of course, you can ask for a doctor's note. Um, they, they put it back in the Employment Standards Act that you're now allowed to ask for doctor's notes. They're saying that if someone has COVID-19 that the doctors aren't giving doctor's notes, um, they have to actually have that negative test result. But if it's a, it's a, if it's a common cold or, or flu, then um, I would say yes, because it's in the Employment Standards Act that you're allowed to legally ask for doctor's notes. We call it a little differently, Tony. We call it a return to work note. So we don't ask for a note to be off sick. You can go off sick for any reason you want, but you can't come back in and circulate with the rest of the workforce until you have clearance. So we kind of approach it, we flip it. Even before when we had, you couldn't ask for a doctor's note for sickness, we said, fine, but if you feel sufficient enough to be off work because you're ill, we need to know that you're okay to come back to work. Yep. So it's just, I think changing it, one is to deal with the legality too, is to make sure as an employer, that you're responsible for the safety and well-being of all your other employees. Um, so we want to make sure, particularly in light of the current situation, um, that that person returning to work um, is legitimately able to come back. And we're not doctors as employers, so we want to make sure that somebody that does have that knowledge and experience has the ability to, to sign off on them before integrating back right. in. Is, uh, are any of you having an issue of, of employees uh, afraid to work? Not wanting to come back. Not with good protocol. Like again, our protocols in the VM every week. And anytime an employee does have a concern, we deal with it right away. Um, and if it's legitimate, it actually becomes part of our policy to date point early within yeah. the day or within the week. Um, and if it's not, then we reassure them by answering the question. Jeff, uh, you have some. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we have about a third of our employees that have not come back okay. because they're nervous afraid to work even though we have very good policies in place um i think there's it's there's twofold you've got you've got employees that are, are nervous about coming back and then of course you've got uh, a lot of childcare issues that are causing folks not to be able to come back but uh certainly there's still a a, a large fear out there of uh of uh you know being anywhere where there's other people other than your family being outside of your home we, we had an issue with that early on um we had our construction crews working throughout um, because we were working on some of these bigger jobs. Uh, we did take a short pause to get our policies in place and then got back working again. And there were, uh, there were a couple of employees who, who decided to, uh, to go home and, uh, and, and stay off just because they were, uh, they were afraid for their families. They were afraid, uh, um, 
you know, but through through further communication um, and communicating our our um, our policies effectively and actually practicing them effectively, uh, after a few weeks they came back to work again. So uh, it just came down to proper communication that yes we right. can do this mm-hmm. and having the attitude that yes we can do this. Um, you know, I've been pushing right from the very beginning of this that that we're we need to become safety companies that do landscaping and. Um, I think uh, we need to be the the ones out there that showing the other industries that yeah we can we can still go out here and work and do our jobs and be safe and uh, and carry on and be just as efficient as we ever were. So um, let's 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 all be those co- that that company. Right. Yeah, we added to ours a little bit, Tony, at the beginning that because there was some apprehension when the uh, the premier did relax for for this sector. Um, but the way we dealt with it was we came in slowly. We brought in all our employees' uh, comments. We actually include them in the conversation because as an employer, the way we approach it, this is the new normal. Um, this could be the new normal for the next 12 months, 24 months, or beyond um, as, as infectious disease now becomes part of it, it was never top of mind other than maybe the occasional flu um, prior. But that this is mainstream health and safety now. So as I expressed to my team, we need to figure out how to, in our office, in our operation, in the field, we need to figure out how to do this and then maintain it for the, for the foreseeable future, um, because this is going to be our new norm. Whether the, the infection's here, we know somebody that's sick or not, uh, we know the disease isn't going away. Yeah. Thanks, Alan. Uh, we've got room, or we've got time for one more question. Samantha Nixon asks, what recourse does an employee have if they feel coworkers and management are not following policies and procedures? Yeah, so there's a certain process that, of course, you have to follow. So if an employee is refusing the right to work, they do have to be on site when they do that. So with the three worker rights, that one of them is they have the right to refuse and they do have to have the right to refuse unsafe work due to COVID-19 as well. But with that being said, there is a procedure that they have to follow. They have to be on site when they say that. They have to actually physically see it um, and see that they are unsafe at work. Uh, then they have to do a hazard analysis. You'll take a look at the workplace and you'll actually go through it with your joint health and safety committee and actually go through the actual analysis of whether it is deemed unsafe or safe. If you deem it safe, then the employee does have to remain and uh, go back to work and start working again. Um, but if the joint health and safety deems it unsafe or the employee again says, I have the right to refuse, then sometimes the Ministry of Labor will have to come on site and make that call for you. Super. Thank you, Natalie. Yeah. Uh, and that, that concludes the, uh, the webinar. Uh, thank you everyone for spending time with us. Uh, it is inspiring yeah, to observe the sense of community that comes out of a challenge. It is wonderful to see so many of you step up to help each other. Uh, I want to thank Landscape Ontario's COVID Task Force for all their work and leadership. Alan White, Jeff Olson, John Dursey, Dave Wright, Peter Ganane, Margot Byers, Terry Child, Lindsay Ross, and James Riddell. They've met 35 times so far and are focused on helping you deal with this COVID crisis. Uh, thank you, Natalie for, and EIO for, for your, your weekly webinars and for, for your knowledge and help. Uh, thank you to the Allo COVID Retail Task Force, Mark Cullen, Frank Vergini, Jeff Olson, Lorraine Johnson, Rob Vandercrook, Terry Vandercrook, Jennifer Llewellyn, Paul Zamet, Ben Cullen, and Sean James. This amazing team of garden communicators, growers, and retailers delivered massive press effective government relations and great results. Finally, I wanna thank uh, our Landscape Ontario, CNLA and Canna Bloom staff family. We are focused on helping advance the landscape profession. 
it's time to work. It's time to work safely. It's time to show the, who we are as landscape professionals. Happy spring. Bye-bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Landscape Ontario podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, we hope you'll subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get new episodes every month. And if you have an idea for the show, please email me at scott at landscapeontario.com. Thanks for listening.